This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Numbers chapter uh, 13, I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. Now, I'm going to read a lot to you, but I believe that if somehow you can grasp this concept and you can apply this to every area of your life, there's a lot to it. Begin in verse 17, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through Negev into the hill country, see what the land is like, and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls, or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Now I'm going to pause right there for just a second because it really has nothing to do with my message. But the New American Standard Bible says, uh, is it fat or lean? Now I don't know about you, but I've never seen fat or lean soil. The the New American Standard is known to be one of the more literal translations uh, for the original text as we translate over to English. And so I I was reading last night and just in this study, and I said, God, I don't really, this is kind of weird to me. Why would soil be fat or lean? Why does Moses care whether the soil is fat or lean? And the Lord just kind of dropped in my spirit, and I made a note uh, in my Bibles, and and it, it just was a thought that, you know, we look at dirt and see absolutely nothing, Right? You look at dirt and you see dirt. We vacuum it up off the floor. We sweep it out of the bathrooms. You don't want it anywhere around. Dirt is dirt. But Moses said, when you go check out the land, when you go see what's going on, I want to know what the dirt's like. I need to know, is it fat or lean? Because dirt represents potential. There's nothing there, but where God is taking us, the promised land he's going to put us in the middle of, I need to know what the dirt is like. I need to know what the potential is like before we ever show up there. Because I need to know what the potential is. Is the dirt fat or lean? Is it even possible for something to grow in the dirt in the land we're going to? That's not even part of the sermon. It's just too good for you not to get it. Are there many trees? I'm back in verse 20. Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as um, Rehob near Zebo Hamath. Going north, they passed through the Negev and arrived at Hebron where uh, a he-man, Shishai, and Talmai, all descendants of Anak lived. The ancient town of Hebron was founded seven years before the Egyptian city of Zoan. When they came to the valley of is shoal, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. Can you imagine that? I get aggravated going to the store to buy a bag of grapes because first of all, when you pull the cluster out, half the grapes are going to fall off in the bag, right? They ain't fresh. Some of them shriveled up. They look like raisins. I didn't buy raisins. I bought grapes. I've been saying for the last two years I was going to put a muscadine grapevine in the backyard because I want to go out to my backyard and I want to pick a fresh grape. 
Can you imagine picking a cluster of grapes so big that two grown men had to tie it to a pole and carry it between them? Kids, you got a picture of that in your notes. You look at that and show your mom and daddy how awkward that looks. That's crazy. How do you even eat a grape like that? At verse 25, after exploring the land for 40 days, I'm confused. First of all, God said this is the land flowing with milk and honey. You show up and, and the soil is rich enough that grapes are growing in clusters so big that two grown men have to carry the grapes. Why did it take you 40 days to explore the land? That should have been enough. You're going to realize in a minute the 40 days actually was a curse. Not a blessing. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, the whole community of Israel at Kadesh and in the wilderness of Paran. They reported the whole, to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. Listen. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country. A land flowing with milk and honey here is the kind of food it produces. And I could see them proudly showing the pomegranates that, that are huge and luscious and juicy. And they're showing this big old cluster of grapes. It's a bountiful land. That, that soil you were talking about, Moses, is fat. It's ready to grow some stuff. It is full of potential, ready to grow up out of the ground. I'm spitting at you now. It's ready to grow up out of the ground. It's fat. Here's what we found, Moses. But the people living there, that butt, I circled it. I hate butts. It's beautiful. It's bountiful. Here's what we found. But the people are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And the Malachites live in the Negev and the, Hill, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. And Caleb says, let's go at it. Let's go at it at once. He said, we can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. I did a little digging in that last phrase, because I thought, sure and surely, the New Living Translations played on that, and they didn't look like grasshoppers. Now you dig into it. They said, we look like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought of us, too. How did we go from... This is a beautiful, bountiful countryside. Look at the luscious fruit. To anybody that goes up in there, they're going to be devoured. Caleb said, let's do it. 
We can conquer it. The rest of the story goes, and I'm not going to read it all to you, but you really should read this. The people got upset. They reveled. They raised their voices. Moses, why did you bring us here? Again, do you realize every single time something happens, it's Moses' fault? And then after it's Moses' fault, it's you brought us out of slavery to bring us to a land of flowing milk and honey, but we're going to die. No, here's what we're going to do, Moses. We're going to appoint us a new leader, and we're going back to Egypt. That is so scary to me. Because God has a destiny for these people. He's got a promised land for them, a place where it's going to be theirs. Abraham, and what's interesting, we can even go back, and this has nothing to do with the message. In Hebron is the place that Abraham, Isaac, and Sarah were all buried. They went and discovered this place. They went and explored this place. And rather than appreciating any ancestry, rather than saying, this is where my fathers died, this is the land that God already promised years ago, rather than ever recognizing the fact God had already been there, God had already placed the ancestry there, he had already placed the people there, they never acknowledge it. You wouldn't have known it if I hadn't just told you. That's the place that Abraham, Isaac, and Sarah were buried They're already there. And instead of seeing anything of any promise, they come back and say, the people are too powerful. They're too mightful. The cities are too big. They're too protected. We can't go in there. Anybody that goes in there is going to be devoured. But somewhere, somehow, God said, that's going to be your land. So they get mad. They're like, we're done. And God, God is, is really frustrated. Can you imagine? I love my babies dearly. And one day I might quit preaching about them. I don't know. It aggravates me to no end when I tell them to do something and they don't do it. They never do that, though. I'm just saying they're perfect children. Look at them sitting there. You know why they're sitting there like that? I might have told him last night that if you act up, I'm going to pull you on the platform in the pulpit, and I'm going to tear your tail up right there in front of everybody. You know what Madeline said? That would be so embarrassing, Daddy. <laughs> you know what Micah said? For Mommy, too. <laughs> and now here I am talking about them, and they're still embarrassed. Can you imagine what God was like? I've given you an inheritance. I've given you this land that is full of potential. I don't even need no fertilizer. The fruit that's already there is, is, is mind-blowing, the fruit that's already coming from this place. And they're like, we'd rather go back to slavery. You know why they would have rather gone back to slavery? It took no faith to go back to slavery. with me it was comfortable to go back to slavery taking beatings on the back working their fingers to the bone it was comfortable 
And they would have rather gone back to that place than walk in faith at what God had. God gets ticked off. I'm just going to be real with you. Caleb and Joshua, they begin to mourn. And, and they said one more time in verse 7 of chapter 14, they said, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is rich in land. It's a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only hopeless prey to us. Here's 10 other men that say those people are powerful. Their cities are huge. They're protected. We can't touch them. And Caleb and Joshua say they're hopeless prey to us. They can't do nothing. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. In verse 12, God's finally to the point that he's fed up and he's threatened to bring them up on the pulpit and tear the tell up. Forget we're still live streaming. I don't care. Thank you for loving me. You know you've missed this. Verse 12, God said, I will disown them. This is God's chosen people. The people he brought out of Egypt, the people he brought out of slavery, he said, I will disown them. I will destroy them with a plague. You know the thing that got them out of slavery? The thing that he used to destroy the Egyptians in order to get them freedom? He said, I will disown them, I will destroy them with a plague. And then he looks at Moses, and this is, there's so many things here for me. As a leader, there's so much meat to this. He says, I'll destroy them and I'll make you into a nation greater and mightier than they are. But Moses, being the guy that Moses is, he interceded for the people. And he begged God, God, do you realize that if you destroy those people, then everybody around is going to say God destroyed the very people he chose to bring out of slavery? God, don't destroy these people. You, you, they, they, they just, they're confused. They're messed up. They're mind blown. They're hurt. They're, they're walking through all these excuses Moses begins to make. And somehow God shifts his heart because of Moses. Do you realize what Moses sacrificed in order to save those people? He said, I'm going to destroy them and make you a better nation than they'd be in the first place. And Moses said, God, no. And in verse 20, the Lord said, I'll pardon them as you've requested. But as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will enter into that land. They have seen... They all have seen my glorious presence and miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never see the land I swore to give their ancestors. Could you imagine? See, here's what took place. Everybody over the age of 20 had to die. Everybody but Caleb. 
Everybody over the age of 20 had to die, including Moses. And that's the part I struggle with as a leader. Because God's will and God's perfect plan was for Moses to enter in to the promised land. You can't really convince me otherwise. God's will and God's plan was for those people of Israel that left Egypt to enter into the promised land. Because of their free will, because of their disobedience, because of their lack of faith, they didn't get to enter in. It's not because it wasn't God's will. God's perfect will and plan was those people were going to enter in. Did he know they were going to mess up? Did he know they were going to fall? Did he know they were going to fail? Did he know they were going to sin? Yeah, but you can't tell me it was God's will for them to be outside when he's ticked off mad at them because they don't have the faith to listen to his voice. It won't his will. And now here Moses, who's been faithful, who's done his very best, who's already gone through a season of the wilderness before, and now come back to be courageous and to, to do the things that he, he don't even know how to do. He's, he's been told to speak and, and to go forward, and he's brought his sidekick Aaron beside him, and God's joined this powerful duo. They've led the people out of Egypt. They're now in a wilderness, but because of their lack of listening, Moses no longer gets to go to the promised land. Me and Brother Tommy were having a conversation this weekend talking about this story. And I, was, I said, man, you got to pray for me because this sermon is, is, is hard on my heart. I don't even, this is all the notes that I have, family. Three little points because this one's down deep. I said, you got to pray for me. He said, you know what the saddest part of that story is to me? Moses never got to see it. And that's heartbreaking for me. But Moses had enough compassion for the people that he sacrificed his own experience in the promised land so that God didn't wipe them out and destroy them. And I had to get to the place to realize sometimes we're just part of the journey. Sometimes we don't get to make it to the promised land. Sometimes we're just part of the journey so that God's promises and, and will can be fulfilled. Moses was part of the journey. It's hard. And this is where we get back to, I told you it took them 40 days. God said, well, here's what's going to take place. For 40 years, you're going to be in the wilderness. One year for every day you decided to check out the land. You're now going to be in the wilderness. All these people are going to die. And you don't actually get to go forward. Here's my sermon. You ready? Three thoughts. First of all, everything requires a vision. The whole point in the spies going forward in the first place was so that they could see what was before them. Right? Because of the naysayers. The ones that, that didn't have the faith. The ones that were so comfortable with being beaten in slavery. The ones that were so tied to their past. Because of those people, an entire generation not of people, but of promise was lost. 
And I thought through that. I thought through that. I thought of a modern day situation. Look at the, the doctors, the nurses, the preachers, the ministers, godly business men and women, an entire generation of God's blessings of God pouring out his spirit. It wasn't just the people that was lost. See, we're limited by time. God is not. Therefore, when this entire generation, 40 years passed, that's 40 years of God's promises that were lost. Because those people somehow or another couldn't be convinced to have the faith to see the promises of God, the miracles, the glory of God over and over. But yet still they chose, they'd rather have another leader take them back into Egypt. And an entire generation of promises were lost. That's scary to me. I don't know how you've received the word today. Here's your application for life. I don't care what it is that God's put before you. Whether it's your walk with him, your family, your marriage, raising your kids trying to do a job in a way that honors God, working toward getting out of debt, financial freedom, I don't care what, what it is, education. Everything requires a vision. I had somebody come and sit down in my office, I don't know, probably been close to a year ago struggling, overwhelmed. And when I first started school, and I went back to school, first of all, I knew, had no idea what I was getting into. But if you walked in my office on my whiteboard, hanging on the wall, there was this really long list of dates. And what it was, was I had sat down one day because I can't handle the feeling of where do I go and what do I do and just kind of sitting. I get lost in that moment. And so I sat down one day and I went through every course syllabus that I had and I looked up all the dates of anything that was coming up, anything special that I had to do for the entire semester. And I wrote down every date and I made sure that even though those things might not have been done by those dates, I knew where I was going. I knew what I had to do before I ever showed up. I had to spy out the land, if you will. Because everything requires vision. And then in the same sense, every 
thing that you, you believe you're supposed to do and everything that is of God for your life. You can see the, the prize. You can see the promise. But always, there's people that say, you can't do that. That's not going to work. The minute you step into that, you're going to be devoured. And and what's going to happen is the voices of those that are against your vision is always going to be louder than the voices that are with it. And so then we find ourselves in this place that that the, the Israelites have found themselves. Do we? saddle up and and ride and and put on faith and allow the faith of God to push us forward. Sure, they're liable to devour us, but you know what? God's got my back. I'm moving forward. Or do we bow out and listen to the voices and say, you know, you're right, guys. Uh, Maybe it's a bad idea. Let's just sit right here. Actually, let's go back to the way we were when we were in bondage. We were in slavery and things were not working right. telling you up front I don't care what it is you want to do the voices against your vision are always going to be louder than the ones for your vision but it's still the land God promised and his promises are still true and then we find ourselves at the place that if we're not careful because of what we see because of our perception the things that's in front of us because of those things we turn and we give up a generation of promises not only did they give it up they died the immediate thing for them was they never saw it period What did it do for their kids? Mama and daddy had to die in the wilderness, so that means that when when son and daughter show up in the promised land, they start from scratch to build up what God has for them. What would have happened if mom and daddy could have entered in and they could have begun to build build this place and build this homestead? They could have begun to build up this inheritance. So when when, when daughter and son come into play, they just they, they take the place that was built on already and they step there and that's where they start from. We're starting from the ground because the generation of promises were lost. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be this way. Moses goes back and he tells them sorry to tell you family you don't get to go in I just spared your life but because I spared your life I don't even get to go in maybe he didn't have the bitterness he was compassionate but when he tells them this then a light bulb goes off and they go up to the hillside and they're ready to go in too late now because vision comes with opportunity 
And they missed it. They missed the window. And so they go to the hillside. They, they go to the, to the top of the hill and they're like, we can do this. We're going to go forward. And Moses said, you better not because now you're disobeying God's order. You're disobeying what the Lord said. I'm telling you, if you go forward, the Lord is not with you. You missed the opportunity. Don't do it now. And they did anyway. And those that thought they could take the plan of God into their own hands lost their life in the battle that day because God was no longer with them. That's scary. Really didn't mean for this to get to a place where it was. But I'm just telling you, this one's burdened my heart heavy this week. There's got to be a vision for everything you do. Habakkuk said, write it down, make it plain, so that as the people run by, they can read it. The people that have the perception of your vision, it's not real. Do you realize that? It's perception. Ten spies saw something that was perception. They perceived danger. They perceived it wasn't going to work. But they were louder than the ones that were for the vision. And because of the lack of faith, the generation of promises were lost. God's got a plan. God's got a plan down from the smallest, the, if you'll walk with me through the, the building on this, as an individual, even in the seasons of life, God's got a plan. In the grand scheme of an individual life, God's got a plan. In a community of people, God's got a plan. In, in a body of believers, God's got a plan. In a nation, God's got a plan. The question is, how do we see the victory? Because victory is ours. God said, I'm taking you to this promised land. It flows with milk and honey. The fruit is beautiful. You're going to conquer the land. It's ours. But they couldn't see that. They saw the giants. The things that would make it hard, the things that would make it difficult, the things that would distract them. In every situation of life, I believe, our country is in this uproar and it's been made to believe it's a racial issue 
there are racial issues. But it's not a racial issue. It's a spiritual issue. Because if the battles that I face are not against flesh and blood and I can't see those, how is the battle that I'm walking against, how can it have anything to do with the color of somebody's skin? It's a spiritual issue. And as much as it's easy for somebody on the opposite viewpoint to look and say, yeah, they got a spiritual problem, I would almost ask us that we turn and look inward. Say, what's my spiritual health look like on the issue? Because love is the answer. I am this Harnett County white dude. There's no way around it. I grew up in a culture that was a predominantly white culture. There's no way around it. Therefore, I don't understand other cultures the way that I'd like to. But it has nothing to do with me being right. It just means I need to learn. And I need to be educated. Because if God had wanted everybody on earth to be one color, he would have made them one color. But he didn't. He created diversity. He created opportunity for us to to show love, for us to find a unity in somewhere other than our color. And so for me, I have the opportunity. Do I find a vision of what unity looks like in my personal life? What does it look like for me as as a young white man? Uh, 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 How does it look? What does it look like? How do I get to a place where where I'm educated and I understand other people's feelings? I understand somebody else's culture. Family, you and I don't understand, many of us. I'm mind blown by conversations that I have with my black brothers and sisters and they blow my mind, the the things they've gone through and the, the way that things are taking place. I'm not telling you that one way or another is perfect, but I'm telling you that they're hurting. Sure, we all matter, but we all ain't hurting right this minute. And so for me personally, I I look at this story and I've got a choice to make. There's a vision where unity is beautiful and it's blended and we celebrate diversity. Not that we don't see color. That is just as wrong as being racist. We need to see color. God created diversity. That's like saying there's a rainbow that's in grayscale. You don't have black and white rainbows. Right? And so now I've got to make a decision because realistically, go with me for a minute. I had no intention of coming here. My vision would be unity. My vision would be that there would be no diversity, that we would find perfect, uh, we would find perfect There will be no division. We would find unity in the diversity of who we are. That's my vision. But everybody around us are against the vision. From everywhere you can find, 
There's naysayers. I'm not saying anything's been right or anything's been wrong. I'm just telling you. This isn't a racial issue. It's a spiritual issue. Mitchell has to decide. What is it going to look like for Mitchell? Is Mitchell going to have the faith to walk into an unknown situation and walk through unknown circumstances and unknown seasons and, and understand that God's already gone before me and God is going to take me through that season? So many different areas of our life that this applies to us. As a church, are we walking on the faith of God? Are we standing on the promises of God to understand that this isn't where we've got to be? We've got to get to the, the place God's called us to. We're going to walk in our destiny constantly moving forward. Are we going to, to be part of the ones that stand saying, I'm for the vision rather than against the vision? Are we going to allow the, the naysayers to stop it? Are we just going to have faith to go? We've got to see the victory, though, and it only comes through the vision of God. Pray with me. Father, I love you. God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your goodness. God, your grace, your mercy that you put on us each and every day. Father, I thank you that you're a God of grace, Lord, and you're a God that's brought us out of slavery. You've brought us, brought us out of bondage. Lord, and in every day of our life, in every situation and circumstance, we find ourselves at this crossroads where, where we need a vision, God, for where we're headed. We've got to grasp a vision. We've got to constantly be looking forward to a vision of where it is that we're going, God. Standing firm when the people, that, the, the, the voices that would come against us, the situations, the trials, the heartaches, the burdens, Father, are against the vision. They would be louder, Lord, but let us not, hear, let, let us not forsake hearing the quiet, still, small voice of what it is you've got for us. Let us walk in faith, Lord, that those that would, would want to uh, put us down, God, Lord, let us not be the naysayer that misses a generation of promises. Let us walk in your faith. Uh, let us walk in your, your courage, your boldness, God. Lord, let us walk in faith and in favor to where it is you want to take us. Don't let us miss an opportunity to step in to that season, to step into that place that you've blessed so bountifully for us. Sure, there's obstacles. Sure, there's big cities that need to be taken over, God. But I believe that the big cities represented the people that could feel those cities. Sure, they had to be conquered. God, those people had to be defeated so that that land could be theirs. But I believe that the size of, of the people, the size of what was there, just represented what was going to be even greater to come. Father, give us faith that can move a mountain. Let us have your vision. Father, I pray for our land today. I pray for our communities. Father, I pray for our first responders, our law enforcement officers, our firefighters, God, our EMS, Lord. God, those that are responding, Lord, the National Guard, everybody that's responding to this utter chaos that is a spiritual issue. Father, I pray personally, God, that you give me opportunities that I would have my eyes open, that I would see new things, that I would understand in new ways God that it would be selfless of me and I would be able to recognize that every soul matters to you and God every soul should be invested in Father I pray that you would bring revival to our land let us see a victory God 
the things that we cannot see with our physical eyes, God. Let us see it in the spiritual and we claim it in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you bless your people. God, I pray that you give them peace, protection. Let your face shine on them. In Jesus' name, amen.